listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 19th of December 2022. Later is Australia's relationship with China on the mend. But first, we'll start with the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. And FIFA says that more than 3.5 billion people watched the previous World Cup in Russia. So with that potential audience in mind... The spotlight is likely to stay on Qatar for some time after the end of the tournament. Qatari authorities have said that the event will add nearly $29 billion to the national economy, with 1.5 million new jobs created, mainly in construction, real estate and hospitality. Why did it want to hold the World Cup and where to now for Qatar? I spoke earlier with the Chief Economist of the University of Technology in Sydney, also known as the Airport Economist, Tim Harcourt. Tim, so the FIFA World Cup has been run and won by Argentina, but on a financial point of view, maybe economics point of view, who's the real winner? Well, probably Qatar, because it's put them on the map uh, as a hub in terms of trade and investment and sport and tourism. And, you know, they spent 200 billion US on the, the cup, so it was a huge investment for them. Why would the nation want the World Cup? I think for Qatar, they want to be seen as a hub for future sporting events like the Asian Games, maybe the Olympics one day. And I think they want to be seen as a business transport hub as an alternative to, say, Dubai or Abu Dhabi. So they really want to use the World Cup to say, Doha's here. If you're going all over the world from Latin America to Europe, anywhere in the Middle East, go through Doha. Infrastructure, a lot of money spent there. Um, How is this infrastructure now going to be used? Well, I think um, in some cases the, the, the subway and some of the uh, sporting facilities that they've used, like the Aspire Centre, um, they were going to do anyway, so the, the Cup is a handy way to, to bring it forward. Some of the stadiums, look, well, you know, it's a very small country, three million, they don't really need all those stadiums. So as I understand it, some of the infrastructure, the seating, for instance, they're going to donate to poorer countries in Africa uh, and recycle some of it. So some of it they need. Uh, some of it obviously was just done for the sake of putting on the cup. In terms of the negative publicity, things like not being able to drink alcohol at the stadiums, you think all of those, and, and, and you know, human rights um, issues as well, all of those, do they, um, the positives, do they outweigh that? Well, I think they would have gone in with open eyes thinking that the benefits they'll get from putting Qatar on the map will be worth having these other things discussed. And I guess FIFA's tried to say the fact that they've held the World Cup means they've been able to try and improve labour rights and those types of things. But I think it's probably better to be, you know, be open about it and have a have a free discussion. And I suspect that in Australia uh, next year, New Zealand, there'll be a free discussion about, you know, some of the human rights issues we have in, in Australia. And International journalists should ask those questions. Okay, speaking of Australia and New Zealand, the, the, the Women's World Cup, what did it mean for that? I think it's really, it's really uh, going to help. I mean, obviously we're not, we're not Qatar, we're not going to put the same amount of money uh, into, into the World Cup, but they're talking about you know $400 million being some of, the, some of the investment and some of the benefit, and I think they're going to use it, obviously, to lift um, participation rates for money for girls, but boy, boys too in... Uh, get in to play sport, in this case, soccer or association football. Tim Harcourt there, the Chief Economist of the University 
of technology in Sydney. Now to the Australian share market, which fell today by 0.2% on the S&P ASX 200, 7,133. For more, I spoke earlier with George Baburis. He's the head of research at K2 Asset Management. The market today is broadly flat, um, but US futures, for example, are a little bit higher after a week of um, weakness in equity markets. Uh, but very, very important context since uh, October, equity markets have risen quite a bit, double digit growth going into year end. It's just falling a little bit short of continuing that. But broadly, Australia has been holding up versus other equity markets over the past few days. And that's to do with broader commodities uh, in general. Uh, a week after we saw a slew of central banks meeting around the world to discuss interest rates, how's the market now viewing the pace of rate rises to come and where the potential peak will be? Yeah, good question. So very quickly, uh, increase of rates in the US and most of the developed world, including Australia, they're going to increase them at a slower pace. And the bond market is predicting that. Uh, having said that, um, they have raised rates this year quite aggressively. And there's a lagged effect, as economists talk about, that will continue to slow down economies in the developed world well into mid next year from the rate rises that have already been delivered. So a combination of additional slowdown of economic activity plus uh, slower rate hikes, we're getting towards the peak. It's just that you've got to be able to face that pain and get through it. But broadly, that's what the markets are, are predicting at the moment. Notwithstanding, there's some confusion out there. Commentary from the US uh, governors is a bit what they call hawkish and aggressive, but the bond market's looking through it and saying you're getting towards the end of the rate hike cycle. Penny Wong will be the first Australian minister to travel to China in more than three years on Wednesday. Uh, there's hopes the nation may soon end its trade strikes against billions of dollars worth of, of exports from Australia. Firstly, how important or how significant do you think this is, especially as, co- as China comes out of its heavy COVID restrictions? Yeah, it's quite obviously significant with the biggest trading partner for Australia and for most uh, other economies in the world. Since the G20 meeting and post the party congress in October, uh, there's a bit of a language change from China and it is uh, a bit more accommodative uh, and trying to re-engage as they're looking to stimulate their economy. They, their central bank is cutting rates uh, as other parts of the world like Latin America, even though the rest of the world are raising rates. So they're stimulating and as they slowly open up with COVID, post-COVID, it'll be very messy, but the second largest economy uh, will be uh, seeing increased economic activity throughout 2023. A lot of complications. But that's a positive driver for exporters and producers of commodities and energy in general. It's pretty quiet in terms of corporate news today. However, Star Entertainment shares of it have taken a significant hit today and it comes after a very messy few months for the company, doesn't it? Yeah, very messy uh, for Star. The things, the takeouts very quickly here. Uh, this uh, this sell down today is on the back of uh, New South Wales uh, additional uh, taxes on pokies. It just reinforces when uh, investing in equities, so there's regulatory risk. It's a bit more elevated. It's not only about gaming, it's also energy and other areas domestically, uh, utilities in general. So there's regulatory risk that we need to uh, navigate, it's becoming more difficult. And they're in the middle of that at the moment. So a little bit messy for Star, even though they had a good tailwind before this announcement today. Uh, with some uh, growth uh, in, South, in, in the Gold Coast, etc., opening up. So, uh, it, notwithstanding all of that, uh, it, it's, uh, the share price is very much lower because it's a uncertainty about some clarity we're all looking for for the New South Wales government. George, this is likely to be the last time I speak to you this year. So, can you look into your crystal ball for 2023? What do you think will be the major themes, and what are the opportunities for investors? Yeah, very quickly, uh, the slowdown of the global growth will, will bottom sometime in mid-2023, 
Markets are forever forward-looking. We're always looking for predictive measures. We believe the turnaround in 24 and 25 is priced in in the middle of 2023. So what that means is get used to higher rates. Uh, they'll, they'll increase at a decreasing rate. Uh, and there'll be a slowdown in parts of domestic demand economies in the developed world. Housing still uh, is going to be a reasonable place to be if you can maintain the debt servicing. Uh, but there are notable slowdowns in economic activity. Looking through it in 24 and 25, that's what equity markets will be responding to. So uh, it'll, be, it'll be a challenging year, uh, but the worst is behind you. George Babura is there from K2 Asset Management. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.